0: In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars, one oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil & Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour, and Patrick Pister starts now.
1: Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this is the show for everybody who has an interest in hs in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my pragmatic co-host, Patrick Pister. How are you doing today, Patrick?
2: I'm doing well, Mark. How are you doing today?
1: Doing really well. So we have a great guest on today, but we could not all manage to get in the same place at the same time. So we're all actually three sitting in different parts of
2: the world. Who do we have on today, Patrick? We've got uh, Susan Murphy, who is the uh, Principal Consultant at DECRA Organizational Safety and Reliability. And Susan and I actually met at the IEDC HSE&T Conference here in Houston maybe a month ago. Is that right, Susan?
3: Yes, that's right, Patrick.
2: Yeah, so uh, welcome to the show. I'm, I'm really excited to have you on because you know, the, the topic you discussed at the conference, I think, is, will be great for our audience. I, I really wanted you to share it with them.
3: Great. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here with y'all.
2: Yeah, and so before we get into that any deeper,
1: Susan, how did you get started in this crazy industry?
3: That's a great question. I, I did not get educated <laughs> in this industry. I have a master's degree in corporate uh, wellness, essentially. And that's uh, that was my start. And I got into this field in 1994. I had hired a young woman to be an exercise physiologist for the company I worked with. And then she moved on and Somehow got a job uh, with another organization to be their wellness director, but in order to be the wellness director, you also had to take on safety. And then that company eventually dropped the wellness program and only kept safety. And then she ended up getting in with with DECRA since she had a safety background now. And one thing led to another, and she told me about this organization. And uh, it's a very similar approach at the time when i hired on the only solution that we uh, were a consultancy firm and our bread and butter if you will was uh, what we call bap behavioral accident prevention process it is it is our methodology for behavior based safety and it's a the approach really is similar to what i was doing in wellness it's it's all about going upstream of the event so in safety the event the unfortunate event would be an injury, of course, and in wellness, the unfortunate event would be a heart attack or a stroke and so you go upstream of that before anything happens and you find out what are the what are the exposures that are contributing to that event happening and let's try to mitigate or eliminate those exposures so the approach I, I essentially went from an individual approach a behavior based wellness approach, if you will, to an organizational approach with behavior-based safety. So it, it just fit perfectly. And I, I have loved it ever since. I am always learning something new, always something new on the horizon. And it, it's just, so it's never been boring. It's an exciting field and it's a great time to be doing this right now.
1: Yeah. Patrick, now let's see why you got her on the show. Cause so this is a really a different way of thinking about it from the beginning around uh, HS&E uh, is, is actually getting ahead of it and thinking about people's behaviors. This is really cool.
2: Well, it's it's really funny. The the speech she gave was right after another individual who was all, you know, focused on all behavioral-based safety. But uh, when Susan got up there, she kind of, you know, like she said, it's kind of been an evolution. So from behavior-based safety to this exposure-based safety. So, and it's, sw- I think it switches back and forth. A lot of people call a, you know, the, there's a difference between behavior-based safety or procedural safety And I feel like the oil and gas industry likes to switch back and forth into which of those two safety metrics is more important, and it switches back and forth every five years or so. But Susan, can you go into more detail about what exactly is this exposure-based safety? Because it's it's kind of a combination. It it isn't focused on the behavior-based safety, like you were saying. It's been a progression. But can you better define exactly what this exposure-based safety is and how it is how it can be a leading indicator?
3: Right. So you know if you if you look at history uh, and go by the decades, Uh, you know, the 70s, OSHA came along. So it was all about uh, regulations. And then in the 80s, it was more about management systems. Uh, Dan Peterson was a a, a big name at that time. And in the late 80s, 90s, behavior-based safety really took hold in in the industry. And it was this idea of employee-driven engagement, continuous improvement, based or aimed at safety. And behavior-based safety, I believe, contributed greatly to the fact that in the last 16, 17 years in the United States, if you look at the statistics for all injuries, the injury rate, or excuse me, for all industries, the injury rate has been on this really nice downward trend. It's, It's a beautiful trend to look at. And that's all industries across the United States for about the last 16 years. And I think behavior-based safety had a major, uh, was a major contributor to that success. Unfortunately, though, if you look at that same 16-year period, the fatality rate across all industries in the United States has not gone down. As a matter of fact, it has remained flat in the last year or two. It's even ticked up a little bit. So that's really disturbing. So as powerful as behavior-based safety methodology has been at reducing all injuries, we took a look at this data, and we just kept, it's very disturbing, and we thought, you know, something isn't working, Something, something's not right here. So we decided that if you think about it, really, the, I guess, the shelf life, if you will, for behavior based safety is really kind of about it. It's about to expire it's 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 done as much as it can do, so we've got to take it to the next level so exposure based safety is the methodology is we've got to take the blinders off. We can't keep going out and just looking at what people are doing and ignoring the you know the the duct taped equipment that they're having to work on or, or the processes that are uh leading them to leading employees to make decisions that put them at risk we we've got to take the blinders off and look at all exposures so that's really the idea behind exposure based safety is let's go out and look at the working interface and look at all exposures. So yes, behavior is absolutely still a part of that, but it is not the only part of that. We are looking at physical hazards, conditions, and again, we're looking at process and system exposures. So it's a much more holistic approach. The other benefit to exposure-based safety is we've got technology now, and we really need to leverage technology. So in the in the 90s in, with behavior based safety you would go out and and you would collect a lot of data from observations and you had to wait a while you know 2 to 3 to 4 months to collect enough observation data to where you could look at it and see trends or root causes for the the behaviors or the exposures and so you were always even though you were looking at upstream metrics, it was still two to three months lag time before you could really address mitigating a lot of those, uh, of those at-risk behaviors or the things contributing to those at-risk behaviors. So we have technology that's available to us now where you can get real-time information and you can act on it today or tomorrow. So, you know, a much faster... Uh, much more proactive. Actually, the technology allows organizations to be as proactive as they've, I I believe, as as proactive as they've always wanted to be. So that is a big part of this as well. It enables the exposure-based safety methodology to work. The other thing that we have learned is we don't want to limit this approach to only the behavioral sciences 15 years ago, we didn't have a lot of information from neuroscience, and we do now. So we know that there are brain-centric hazards out there that lead to human error, and we've pulled that science in to this exposure-based safety as well. So it's not limiting ourselves to just behavior and just the behavioral science, but really expanding it and looking at all things that lead to people either putting themselves at risk or physical conditions or processes that expose people to risk.
1: So Susan, I have to ask you, this is a different way of of looking at this. I've never seen this before. I see the benefits, but when you come to a new company, you have to have buy-in from the leadership, I would imagine, to even make this even possible.
3: Absolutely. No question there. You have to have buy-in from leadership.
2: So I think it was what Mark was going to say what, what does that look like if you're if you're just starting down this exposure based safety path how do you make that transition from the way things have been done in the past to this new way of thinking and that's the you know management's buy in and then implementation what do those steps look like?
3: One of the benefits of exposure based safety is well one of the things we've heard about and and why I said behavior based safety is kind of reaching the end of its shelf life it is resource intensive. Uh, Behavior-based safety has historically been fairly resource intensive and that's part of why management struggles with with buying into it. It's also been a bit cumbersome and slow to get things built and off the ground. So that was one of the things when we transitioned to building and creating exposure-based safety that we wanted to solve that problem or those problems. How can we get at that? So exposure-based safety, the way we are implementing this, requires our charge when we started this was we said we've got to take our methodology BAP, Behavioral Accident Prevention Process. We want to get twice the results in half the time with half the resources. That was our charge. And at first, that seemed impossible. And as we went along building this, we realized not only is it possible, we can do this and we are doing it. So one of the we actually get better buy-in from management, from from senior leadership in organizations, because exposure-based safety requires less resources. And part of that is the technology. We don't need large steering committees spending hours and hours and hours looking through report after report after report to try to come up with root cause analysis and develop action plans. The technology enables that to happen, again, real-time what else the technology has allowed us to do is to we are if we go into a new organization we are not suggesting that they create a very large steering committee that drives this process we have transitioned to a very small governance team and we utilize ad hoc you know short term as needed teams to do specific activities or functions of the process, if if you will. So that has allowed for a much, much less of a drain on the resources, if you will, because we know every organization out there in oil and gas industry and every other industry is doing more with less. So we can't go in there in today's world and say, you know, we need you to pull and provide the same amount of resources that we did in the 90s. And additionally, if you look at who our audience is today, who the generation coming into the workforce, they grew up with a cell phone or an iPad or or whatever in their hands. And to go into an organization in the 90s and to to say, I need you to print out this stack of six or seven different types of observation reports and we're going to go through all of these and look through these. They would do that because they had to. There there was no other way. Today, you go into this new, gen, you know, this younger generation and say, I need you to print out this stack or, you know, they just look at you like you're, you know, like you've got a third eye. So the resources are, are much less demanding and that has helped, to get management to buy into it. Additionally, with our exposure-based safety technology, we actually take on a little bit more of the upfront work that we used to ask our client to do and yet still be able to create the buy-in at not only the senior leader level, but, but all throughout the organization to the, to the shop floor employees. So that, again, requires less resources from them.
1: Yeah, I want to back you up a little bit, Susan. So, you talked about tools. You talked about technology. You know, the end result of that is data, and lately, it's been a lot of data. The ability to go in and use that data to be able to mine it, to be able to do analytics on it, is that part of y'all's process? That's something y'all do?
3: It absolutely is. So we have a we have a, an application, if you will, an app that can be installed on a pad or a phone, and we we built the technology for the most sophisticated client. And we will back down from there if we need to. And what I mean by that is there are some organizations where for whatever reason, they cannot allow or cannot take a phone or a pad into the field. So we need to be able to adapt to that. But we built it to the organizations that can make that happen. Well, the app is the input. So we actually are are looking at we have three different types of exposure sample now that we are teaching in exposure based safety and all of that information gets input into the app we have a different program if you will that has the output and provides the dashboard and it's real time so it it and it's got for example it can we can put a heat map on there so in real time you can find out hey we've got sif uh, exposure sif is serious injury or fatality so we have our sampling is telling us that we've got a high sif potential related to pinch points in unit 1 and we can in real time act on that so it it is actionable data in real time, we can do what we need to do to either go out to that unit and address the exposure, or maybe we want to conduct focused samples in a based on what the data shows us. So short answer is yes. <laughs> and I just, after after giving you the long answer, <laughs> the, uh, the short answer is yes.
2: Hey, but what about that's- using historical data that's already in a spreadsheet somewhere? Can you come in and take data that's already been captured, or do you come in and and when you apply your system it's that's day 1.
3: No, we absolutely request historical data and and part of the reason for that and we want historical injury data and in the oil and gas industry that's most of these organizations that we work with they are world class they don't have a lot of injury data so we have to go back a uh, pretty good ways but we also want their observation data from their behavior based safety processes if that data is helpful. But the reason I say we want the injury data is before we ever meet on site with an organization to get them started in exposure-based safety, we do the analytics on their injury data. And what we bring to the table is a uh, I call it a scatter plot if you will that shows them here are the exposures that and and how often did these exposures contribute to your injuries in the past and what is the sif potential so it it's hard to imagine maybe but it's a, it's laid out in a quadrant And it shows you very clearly if if you have exposures that are up in the upper right-hand quadrant, those are your exposures that contributed to a a disproportionate number of injuries and have high SIF potential. And that, from day one, gives you your sampling strategy. Those are the things you need to go after yesterday if you will so we we do take that historical data and we utilize that from from day 1 it's our baseline and then we go from there so from that point forward that scatter plot once we identify that those are the critical exposures for that organization once they start conducting the different the three different types of samples on those exposures that scatter plot changes in real time based on not what the history showed us related to injuries, but now what is the real time exposure related to each one of those.
1: Yeah, I'm going to really jump around here because you said something very early on that pipped my interest. And we talked about that humans aren't perfect and that there's new sciences and, and new understandings of how people, why people perform the way they do. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because that I, I find that fascinating because you, you, you will see, I mean, and we've all seen this, you will see somebody that knows better, it's uh, been doing it That's for 10 true. or 15 years, make a bad decision. And, and the, the fact that there's a science around this and y'all integrate that has to be fascinating. So we talk a little bit about that.
3: Absolutely. It, it's thrilling. It, it's not just fascinating. It, it's so exciting to pull in the brain centric hazards that we've l- learned about through the, the neuroscience field. It can be as simple as how you lay out the human, uh, what's called the HMI, the human monitor interf- interface. So we have an organization that, for example, that is helping us to create the dashboard so that it is user fr- it is brain-friendly, how the eyes actually see the the screen. Is it laid out in a way that is brain-friendly? Another thing we've learned from neuroscience, and, and you're absolutely right, it is the smartest people that are, they know the work, they can do the work, they've, they've done the job for so long and yet you, you scratch your head because you wonder, how did they, If what made them make that mistake? That's the brain part of it. So one thing we've learned is that the eyes actually don't go out and, and we don't see with our eyes, we actually see with our brain. Our brain sends our eyes on seeking or seeing missions. So we have adapted the knowledge about that brain-centric hazard into how we conduct the different types of sampling. So, you know, that's one example.
1: So when we go back to this brain-centric approach. And the other, though it's fascinating because i would forgotten that, you're right, we don't see with our eyes, we see with our brains. And it's actually... The way a lot of magicians and optical illusions work is you actually fool the brain, and not the eyes. So when you start thinking about that type of neuroscience and that, all that research, you're now coming up with a different approach to address. You know things that are very common, such as the guy that's been building you know roof and houses twenty years, all of a sudden cuts the tip of his finger off. Why did he make that mistake? Right. That's the, that's the stuff that normally HSN people can't get out of the system, can't get out of the machine. So that's really cool. So y'all, y'all are actually moving that needle to the nth degree using neuroscience.
3: Absolutely, and you're you're exactly right. You you hit on something there, and it's cognitive distraction, and it can be something that is literally a split-second distraction in our routine that we have done for years and years and years. And our brain actually fools us into believing that we followed the same routine that we always have, but in fact, we didn't. And I can give you an everyday example of this that I think we can all relate to. I believe all of us have a, a place where we either always put our car keys Or we always put our sunglasses, you know, or our our purse, our backpack. Every time you come into your house, you, you you put those keys in a little bowl or you hang them on a hook. And if you've ever lost them where, you know, they're not there, you go looking for those keys that are supposed to be hanging on that hook that I've hung them on every day for X number of years, you start going and looking for those keys. And In looking for those keys, how many times do you go back to where they're supposed to be to check on it? Because you know they're supposed to be there. You know you put them there, but they're not there. And it's funny because we go looking for them, but in in the course of looking for them, we keep going back just to double check because they're supposed to be where they are. That's a perfect example of how something distracted me in the course of how I always put my keys there and I didn't realize I got distracted and my brain thinks that it put the keys where they were supposed to be. And I think we've all experienced something similar to that. Well, that happens in the workplace and that's when it can get dangerous. So the keys, that's a funny example. We lose our keys and we can't find them, but in the workplace, it can be deadly. So that same distraction can be why a person they could take a lie detector test and pass that I followed the procedures exactly the way they, they are spelled out and they would pass that lie detector test and in fact something might have distracted them and they missed one little step in the procedure and that step could be fatal or life altering.
2: Yeah that's well and these so- distractions that you're talking about where they're they're being added in the guise of giving more information. So if you, you know, look at a, you know, a modern driller shack, there are so many extra monitors and cameras and sensors and everything giving information to the equipment operator that is then becoming distracting. Exactly like you said, I've, I've seen investigations where all the information was right in front of him, but looking out the window, he didn't see the piece of equipment moving slowly that, that collided with another piece of equipment. It, it was right there, he was looking at it, but he had so much information coming at him Exactly, you said your brain isn't deciding to pick up any one thing; it's trying to pick and choose everything and and get the simplest answer. And you, yeah, you miss things that are right in front of your face.
3: Yes, and you just you just commented on on two things. It's uh, hiding in plain sight, right? How many times has that happened to us? Like you just said, it's right in front of us and we don't see it. It doesn't register. But your comment too about multiple monitors—that is a brain-centric hazard, and how many times have we gone into the control room and we have seen an operator sitting there and they have five monitors and they're supposed to be vigilant and, mo- and monitoring that nonstop? That is, uh, that's a recipe for, for human error. So that that is a consideration as well and it's something we want to address with exposure based safety. Fatigue, cognitive fatigue is another brain centric hazard that is a big issue in a lot of industries. And, you know, when you're on a seven day hitch and you're working 12 hours and that becomes 14 or 16 because of something not going well, cognitive fatigue can become a big brain centric hazard.
1: You know, what's cool about this, Patrick, is this is a lot of stuff that normally would have been under the checkbox human error. Right, somebody made a mistake. Now you're actually using science and getting and being able to get to the actual cause and then reverse engineer it so it doesn't happen. I mean, this is this is really cool stuff.
2: Yeah, and I like I like diving into root. Co- er, sorry, human. I like diving into human error and trying to figure out what is the cause of it. But I've never actually heard the term brain centric hazard. Which in when you're looking at monitors, like, well, he's got five monitors. That's to help him. That's not a hazard, but. In an investigation, when something went wrong, that's going to be one of the causes. Well, he was distracted by this, 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 and this, and the the hazard was actually on the fifth monitor that he wasn't focused on. So something that's seen as a positive that's there to help you, I like the term brain-centric hazard, it's there and it's kind of, you know, it's it's distracting you even if it's subtle.
3: Right. And this is new information. It's new science. It, it really has only, we've only known this now for, or, or this information just came to light 10 maybe 12, 13 years ago. So it is new. We we didn't know these things, which is why we expect people to be able to monitor or or to, to be vigilant with five different monitors. We don't realize that we've actually created a human monitor interface that is asking for human error. Even things as simple as how an SOP is written and how it is laid out on... Uh, paper if it 's on paper, all of those things are important when it comes to being brain friendly if you will, because we want people to make the right decision the first time every time so how do we how do we address that so that's the that's the idea or part of the idea behind exposure based safety is the technology allows us to after we go out and and sample the exposure, we can have a much more meaningful, a richer conversation with the employee to get at some of these processes or to talk about some of the the contributing factors that are, are leading to these exposures, because now we're not locked into having to fill out a piece of paper and you know, write down some answers. We've got the the technology, ha- the app has uh, voice-to-text capability, so we can sit there and have a conversation and really dig a lot deeper to some of these and, and get at some of these root causes, cognitive fatigue, having to monitor five screens at the same time, or processes that may be cumbersome and contributing to uh, either exposure or human error. So,
1: yeah, really good stuff. We're getting close to starting to wind down the show. Susan, do you have a Red Wing safety tip of the week for our audience?
3: I do, and it's not limit. well, I think it's for everybody. So it's not related to being on the platform or the rig or at work, but we all travel there. So you either drive to the heliport or you drive to work, we drive home. I just want to remind everyone, and this has to do with cognitive distraction, that when you're driving, don't talk on the phone, period. And I'm really focusing in on hands-free. Hands-free cell phone use is the distraction is not, it's not the physical distraction that that's important. Even though, yes, you want your eyes on the road, absolutely, we want those eyes on the road. But the distraction that comes from talking on a phone, even a hands-free phone, is the cognitive distraction. And it leads to a type of cognitive distraction That we call inattention blindness and that's where you are essentially looking but you're not seeing the details and what we know is that crashes related to talking or heaven forbid texting but even talking on the phone and i'm talking hands-free these crashes tend to be serious injury or fatality crashes they are rear-ending someone who has stopped in front of us or T-boning someone because we drove through an intersection, not realizing that our light was red, or heaven forbid, we cross the median and have a head-on collision. So please don't talk on the phone while you're driving. Turn on the do not disturb or put it away and focus on driving and have your kids do the same.
1: Yeah, that's a great tip. And take it from somebody, which is me, who woke up in the hospital emergency room while he was texting and driving. Don't do it, it's not worth it. Great tip. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, speaking of Red Wing, we have our offshore bag, which we can't show Susan because she's remote, but it's a really cool bag, Susan. If you would like to win one, or if Susan wants to win one, or if somebody in our audience wants to win one, it's really easy. No purchase necessary. See the official site for rules and details, but all you do is go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Enter your information. We give away one lucky bag winner a week. And speaking of lucky, make us lucky. Support the show, right? Leave us a review. It takes all of two minutes. It's the number one way to support the show. You know, Patrick and I out here doing this. Uh, you're getting to listen and learn some really cool stuff Give us a minute of your time and and just give us an iTunes review. We have our first – actually, by the time this goes out, Patrick, will be too late. OGGN, which is the parent of this podcast and all the rest of the podcast, has their first live event, which will be uh, next week, which means that you've missed it by the time you hear this podcast. But if you want to hear the next one, because we're going to do a bunch of them, it's really cool. Go to oilgashsc.com. Give us your email address. We'll let you know. You also can go to oilgasglobalnetwork.com. Give us your email address there. Or join the LinkedIn group. Go to LinkedIn. Just type in OGGN, and we'll let everybody know second – on the LinkedIn group. Everybody goes first on the email. And while you're there, giving us your email address you can check out this sh- show and all the other podcasts. We have some new podcasts coming out this year and we're just about the point we're going to start launching them. So stay tuned. And then we have OTC coming up, Patrick. It's the end of April, beginning of May. We'll be there. I heard a rumor that we're going to be doing a live podcast from the Red Wing booth.
2: Yeah, I think uh, you know, we did one last year and we're going to be back again. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah,
1: so if you want to go to OTC for free, sign up for our monthly newsletter, put all the oil and gas events in one place, and we give away stuff like free passes OTC. If you come to OTC with a free pass, you better come listen to Patrick and I. (laughs) Come introduce yourself. Uh, Hit us up in person. We'll probably be the first day, probably that Tuesday at the Red Wing booth. We'll be doing at least one live podcast. And then, uh, Susan, I just want to tell you, this has been fascinating stuff. Patrick, we need to get her back on the show because we could do another two or three shows over this different methodology and approach to, to safety and, and health. But this has been really good, Susan. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, if people want to find out more about uh, your company, where should they go?
3: Oh, absolutely. You can go to our website. It is www.decrainsight.com, and that's D E. K-R A I N S I G H T dot com or you can email me at Susan.murphy, that's M U R P H Y at Decra.com, and we'd love to talk with you about this. We're we're excited. We we think this approach is going to start to have an impact on that uh, that flat fatality rate that that has been so disturbing that we've been watching. So very exciting.
1: Yeah, we'll put links in the show notes, which, by the way, audience, you do know Patrick goes to trouble to build show notes. If you want to learn about all this stuff, you go to the website, AllGasHSC.com. Click on the on the show, and you can read all this stuff and click and get uh, Susan's email address. Yeah, you click don't in have to website. take notes.
2: You can, you can click right to every every resource that Susan just mentioned. Yeah. All right, so this has been really good. Patrick, uh, anything else we want to do before we get out of here? I think you might have covered everything, Mark. That was, I mean, this is a great podcast, and I, I just want to r- relate the the safety tip that she had because we were talking about monitors. And we all know that that extra monitor in the car, your your iPhone, is a distraction, but we don't recognize it on the job. So I, I liked that that was the safety tip, and it, it worked well into the, you know, these cognitive distractions are there. And not everything is a valuable resource just because it's got more information. It could, uh, you know, it could be that last little bit that, you know, broke the camel's back, so to speak.
1: Yeah, and we've all seen the people walk into stuff while they're looking at their cell phone while they're walking. Quit doing it, people. All right, so folks, uh, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great.
2: Y'all be safe out there.
0: Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil & Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil & Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston, to London, to Dubai, and beyond.
1: All right, Susan, what's the craziest thing you've seen in the field?
3: Oh, this was a few years back, and this was on a platform off the coast of Louisiana, and this particular rig or platform, they were celebrating some amazing safety milestone. I, I can't remember the details. So the OIM, the the offshore installation manager of that platform, he wanted to do something really uh, great, yeah, just really fun for for the uh, all the all the employees there. And this was the middle of the summer, so you know it's hot. So he decided he would personally serve ice cream to to the entire all the employees there. So if you can imagine, they got the the big gallons like, like you see at Baskin-Robbins. I don't know if those are five-gallon or 10-gallon containers of ice cream, and it's hard as a rock. And for whatever reason, he or whomever decided to buy ice cream scoops that were plastic, not metal. And in the course of him trying to serve ice cream, if you can imagine, he's putting all his weight on this plastic ice cream scoop because the ice cream is is not thawed. It's so hard. Well, the scoop broke, and his weight came down on it. And and this is not funny. He sliced his thumb and ended up getting about 8 to 10 stitches. But unfortunately, I think kind of the funny part is, now nobody's going to eat that ice cream because of, you know, that. And he took a perfectly amazing safety milestone that here these employees had worked so safely for so long. And look who comes along and ruins the record. So he was their first recordable injury after this really long stretch of of no injuries at all. And he did it. And it was all just trying to, you know, to to recognize and celebrate their success. And look what happened. I, I thought that was kind of ironic and in a funny way. And and he told me I could share the story. So (laughs) anyway, he thought it was funny. Yeah, you can't make this stuff up, people. (laughs)